0: You are listening to Bringing Grace to the Nation's podcast, where we talk about your theological questions. BGN Podcast is produced every Saturday for your enjoyment. Get more information on our website, grace-nation.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at GraceNationMin and on Facebook. Now, here is your host, President of Grace Nation Ministries, Victor
1: What is up, guys? Welcome to the Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast. I'm so excited to be able to bring this episode to you today. And I just want to go ahead and start this off with we now have our podcast on iTunes, which is such an amazing opportunity. And we're super thankful that we were able to get approved to be put on iTunes so quick. It doesn't happen that fast normally. So if you haven't already checked us out on iTunes, please go subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, even if you're a regular listener on Podbean or Grace Das Nation. Um, it would be such just an amazing help for you guys to go do that because it would boost our rankings and certain things. So please go do that. We'll have the link to the iTunes podcast in the in the uh, show notes for today. And uh, that would just be a huge help for the Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast. Also, we had a huge sermon get posted here this past Wednesday. And it's on the topic of toxic charity. And I feel like that's such a huge problem within our American church. And if you really want to know a little bit more about that and dive deeper into that problem, please go check out the sermon. It's called The Misconception. It will be a four-week sermon series. Week one was posted this past Wednesday. And in this upcoming Wednesday, you can go ahead and expect the next one in the installment of that sermon series. Super exciting. And I'm super blessed to be able to bring that to you guys as well, this podcast. So today on bringing Grace to the Nations, we are going to be talking about an amazing topic. and I was able to bring in a great friend of mine who currently goes to the same college as me. My good friend Tyler, go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us about yourself.
2: I'm so happy to be here. Uh, my name's Tyler. Uh, I run the uh, I run a young adult ministry at a church here in town uh, called Bay Hope Church, and uh, I'm in my senior semester. At Trinity College, um, which feels really weird. That's crazy. It's really weird. Yeah, it's um, crazy. So I'm, I'm graduating in December, and I'm so impressed with you. And I don't think I've ever like told you that, but I, I'm genuinely so impressed with you as a person, uh, and you as a leader, and you as a minister, and so to not only have a chance to have anything to do with grace nation, but to be on your podcast, um, as just a, a friend and a person is, is an honor. So thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah. I really appreciate that. It's God has just done so many amazing things just this semester in so many people's lives. And just for me to be able to be a part of that, like I'm just so encouraged. He's, um, God's amazing. He's yeah. absolutely amazing. So this is your senior semester at Trinity college of Florida. It is. It's a big leap yeah what's next dot dot dot
2: yeah i i have historically whenever there's this transition period in my life and i know i'm leaving something else and going to somewhere um god tends to not be very specific Mm -hmm. um until the actual movement of the next (laughs) thing starts happening um so there's a, a lot of ideas and a lot of things i'm throwing around we're going to visit a school pretty soon but um you know, I'm really right now just just listening and just trying to figure out um, where I'm supposed to be and walking in wisdom and things like that. But yeah, there's a transition coming up. Yeah. But who who knows right now? Um, yeah, just absolutely. Trying to be wise. Yeah,
1: it's scary, but it's also comforting knowing God's got you. You know, Gosh, what I, mean? I would rather be here than anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. So this is your senior semester, your last semester here it at Trinity, is. and then your past semester, you actually wrote I did a paper. Yeah, I wrote um, like the equivalent of, I guess, our thesis. Right, like the undergrad thesis. The undergrad thesis. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're yeah. going to be focusing on that topic that you wrote on, right. which is... Yeah, the best way to describe it
2: is um, evangelism in a post-Christian culture. That's a
1: lot of words put together. It is,
2: and they're very weighty
1: words. Right, yeah. It right. Just, they weigh down on you when you hear that. What does it mean? Tell us.
2: Yeah, it's 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 a long definition, it's a big thing, but really we it has three parts to it. There's mm-hmm. culture itself, there's post-Christian, then there's evangelism, but before anything else when people hear the term post-Christian I think it's a term being thrown out a lot more lately, and we don't really have any t- ways to define it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of people who use the term secular, or use the term postmodern or use the term Christian um, and post-Christian, excuse me, and kind of tie them all together and think they mean all the same thing. Um, And in my research for this paper, um, it was actually, I felt a little bit like Frodo, where uh, Frodo was like reluctantly thrown on this journey that he didn't want to go on. Mm -hmm. Um, And for this paper, that's kind of how I felt. Like I was going to just do this for a class and be done with it and just get the A, right? And as I kept studying and I kept learning, I was kind of thrown on this journey of Really understanding how we as Christians are to posture ourselves um, as gospel sharers and gospel right. influencers in a post-Christian culture. And a lot of times when I mention that, when I talk about it, people's first question is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. America is not a post-Christian culture. Right. Right? That's usually their immediate reaction. Yeah. Like, that. you see Gallup polls, you see, like, uh, the influence of the church mm-hmm. um, in America, and you think, like, America is the furthest thing from a post-Christian right. culture. When we think of post-Christian, we have to kind of identify what we mean in terms of a secular society. So here's the definition I came up with. A post-Christian culture is a type of secular society in which the majority of the population no longer associates with Christian identity, belief, or practice. Mm -hmm. Right. So a type of secular society. When when I go to church, and when I go to, usually it's a lot of small churches, actually. Small churches tend to be like, very like secular is a buzzword Mm -hmm. and secular is like this buzzword that Christians are against. Right. There's a war on Christmas. Right. Right. There's a Starbucks is warring on December 25th. Yeah. Right. Red cups. Exactly. It's a a whole thing. (laughs) It's it's a war. It's a battle. Exactly. And we think there's like this culture war over secularism Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't really have an idea of what secular is. Right. Um, Secular in and of itself means Mm non-sacral, right? Like not religious in any way. And a lot of times, people think America is a religious society. At its core, we're actually we are actually a secular society mm-hmm. in the sense that we aren't a theocracy. Okay. Right. A theocracy is a government that is dictated and ruled by a religious body. Right. Right. So the Catholic Church in the medial, uh, medieval times and Dark Ages and everything. Right. Else. So that's a theocracy. The the church was linked with government. Right. To control and run everything. That's else. not a secular society. Right. In terms of the definition of secular. That would be a non-secular okay. society. America is a secular society. Okay. Right? In the sense that we have a uh, a government entity that may be influenced by principles of the mm-hmm. church, but the church itself, church members maybe, mm. and church leaders maybe, but the church itself is not um, intertwined with right. government It's practices. not directly influencing... Are controlling yeah. government regulations, right? Like people might, right, but the church itself doesn't. So, in that sense, America is secular, just like every other country, okay. right? Um, but there's a new type of secularism, and there's a second type of secularism that is usually what people are referring to when they talk about a secular society, right? And it's a process. Uh, it's not so much the secularism as it is the process of secularization, right? So, okay. two big words. Process of secularization means the way people think is now less religious. Okay. So the dominant ideologies, the dominant way people think is not as much dictated by religious principles.
1: Right. Right? And that's like the process of it going further, like the continuation of people thinking less and less on religious principles. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So the first type is dealing with like the
2: government setup. Right, that's a a secular societies where the government setup is non sacral. Right, right. But then there's the um, the people themselves, and now we're we're not we're not talking about government here. We're talking about the people themselves. Right. Where the dominant ideology of people is not primarily religious or in our case Christian. Right. So, a post Christian society is inherently a society where at one time. The dominant ideology of America was influenced by Christian belief, was influenced by Christian principles Mm -hmm. and Christian activity. And now we're looking at the present landscape and going, I don't really think that's the case anymore.
1: Right. And I think think that's, with that being said, I I think a lot of Christians are blinded to the fact that, like, we still believe that we are the prominent worldview in America and that might not necessarily be the case. It actually might be a completely different worldview or a Christian worldview that's been twisted in so many different ways that it's actually not a Christian worldview anymore. And so now it's the secularization that's on this, pro- and it's still happening, and it continues to get worse and worse as time goes on and on.
2: You're right on the money. And uh, Stefan Poss who is from UV Amsterdam, uh, wrote this study on the secularization of Europe and England and it ties in directly to what happens in the United States. Um, you can put it in the show notes. He goes through the five processes of secularization. Okay. And it's this huge thing um, and it happens primarily person to person. So like you said, there's there's al- there's got to be a way to identify it, right? right? Okay. So if this is post-Christian, how do we know America is post-Christian right, Barna. Um, I love Barna. Yes, he he's just amazing. The in the whole Barna group and David Kinnaman, they're mm-hmm. just amazing. They came out with a study recently, um, intending to see if America was a post-Christian nation. So they came up with uh, fifteen criteria, fifteen okay. questions, um, responses, mm-hmm. and if you scored sixty percent, uh, if you met sixty percent of these factors, mm-hmm. then you were post-Christian. Wow, and your society, your area was post-Christian. So they pulled, I have it here. They pulled uh, 60,000 adults from all over the United States, from different cities, different economic backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds. Okay. Uh, and they asked them these 15 criteria. I'm going to read these. Okay. Um, and then we're going to see kind of what the result was. So this 15, number one, don't believe in God. Identify as atheist or agnostic. Disagree that faith is important in their lives. Don't pray to God and haven't prayed to God in the last year. Have never made a commitment to Jesus. Disagree the Bible is accurate. Have not donated money to a church in the last year. Have not attended a Christian church in the last year. Agree that Jesus committed sins. Do not feel a responsibility to quote unquote, share their faith. Have not read the Bible in the last week. Have not volunteered at church in the last week have not attended Sunday school in the last week, have not attended religious small group in the last week, and do not participate in a house church in the last year. So those 15 criteria, right? And that covers a wide range. I would have had to answer yes to some of those, right? Right? Like, did you go to small group this week, right? Right. So those kind of ones hit or miss, but there are some bigger ones in there. Here Here was the crazy part. In reaction to the study... 44% 44% of Americans ideologically line up as post-Christian. Wow. 44%. This is this is not asking whether or not when you vote you are identifying as Christian because you grew up in church, right? This is looking at how you fundamentally operate as a person. Right. What are you how do you think, how do you feel, how do you behave, how do you live? and does it reflect
1: Christian virtue value principles. Yeah, these questions directly attack people's core ideals or their core, you know, yeah. the way they live their life on a day-to-day basis, not just the way their parents raised them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's a diagnosis.
2: Yeah. That the majority or soon to be the majority of the United States ideologically is post-Christian. Right. Um so we are we are inherently in the Western culture in a post-Christian society where they people don't have a concept of Jesus. Mm-hmm. People don't have... Um, if they have a concept of Jesus, it's not a right concept. It's not okay. biblical. Um, and their lives reflect um, their lack of understanding of biblical principles or truth. Hmm. Um, we are... Uh, a, we are a post-Christian culture. Yeah. Uh, and we've, we've been becoming that way
1: for quite a while. Right. And I don't think these statistics, if there's not a shift within the church now, I don't think these statistics are going to be getting any more favorable in the near future. Um, I unfortunately agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that being said, the first thing I thought about was Bible Belt. That was like the first thing I thought about. Yeah. Um, But I don't think the problem is just the Bible Belt area. Right. Is this such a widespread issue that it... I mean, it's going from California to New York, coast to coast. Like, this is America. Or would you say this is just... Uh, From what I... From the research I've done, um, it appears
2: that this is a United States issue. Mm -hmm. Right? You may have pockets where there are people who... Um, ideologically, have more um, Christian beliefs than others. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, in the Bible Belt, you may have people who respond positively to a lot
1: of those questions. To
2: yeah, to a lot of them, um, but may be doing so for the wrong reasons, right, right? or things like that. Um, then again, in the Bible Belt, you may have people who identify as Christian in their mind, vote as Christian as if that were a possibility, and then do all those kind of things and sort of live in what they believe a Christian atmosphere is, yet won't be able to respond positively to those questions. Um, So this is a diagnosis of American religious culture Mm. that we, at one time, the majority of the population um, thought, lived, behaved. Through and by Christian principles, right. and now does not think, live, or behave through those Christian principles. Um, and this is really a time for us as the church to pay attention to this mm-hmm. and now tune into it. Right, uh, and that's the that is the
1: biggest crux of what we need to do with this information. Yeah, one of the first things I thought of to be a post Christian culture. There at one like you to be post something you had to be at one time at one time in, in yeah. that right when when do you think is there a time in history or yeah. a, a spot or shifts in culture that you would say kind of encouraged this post Christian movement yeah uh, that you could pinpoint or do you think it's just it's just the way human. Right.
2: So sociologists have done a lot of study on this. I would encourage you, to, I'm, I'm going to give you some books okay. and I'm going to say the books now and I'm going to ask you to put them in the show notes yeah, they too. Will be. James Emery White, um, okay. who's an awesome pastor. Uh, I think his church is called the Mech in um, North Carolina, I believe. He has an awesome blog called uh, Church and Culture. I think, I hope I'm getting his name right and mm-hmm. his blog right. Um, if not, sorry, James. <laughs> um, but he wrote two great books called Generation Z and Rise of the Nuns. Uh, Rise of the Nuns was written first. It was written in about, uh, it was written a few years ago. Okay, and it, he was really the first person to kind of notice these things and notice these things on a popular level. Mm-hmm. And he noticed that much of the people um, who were our age, sort of the um, now what are older millennials, right, um, were having a shift in their ideology and were mm-hmm. having a shift in their behavior. And that generation is called the nuns, Okay. right? When they go to religious affiliation, they don't click Christian, Buddhist, Hindu. They click nun, mm-hmm. right? And so he spends the whole book identifying causes, um, reasons for that. Right. Um, there are some really heartbreaking reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, uh, for example, the, um, the moral failure of teachers, right? Oh. Uh, our generation and the generation before us um, watched... Uh, evangelists embarrass themselves and embarrass the gospel on live television. We've watched pastors go through, famous pastors, go right. through adultery mm-hmm. um, and commit heinous evils. Right. Um, we've seen uh, the Catholic Church um, itself. Like, we're we Protestant, but, man, John Calvin even believed there were true Christians in the Catholic Church. Right. So uh, we've seen Catholics, um, Catholic monks and Catholic, not monks, uh, priests. priests, Um. Rape little boys and yeah. uh, commit heinous evils, and much of our generation and the generation above us saw these things and then associated gospel with proclaimers of the gospel mm. and said, "I don't want anything to do with it, right. Which I can't say I blame them. Yeah. Um, so that's a cause. Um, James James White does such a good job of bringing out those root causes. But there's there's another cause um that actually Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman in 2007 I believe they wrote this book they wrote a book called Unchristian mm-hmm. um they wrote kind of a response to it this past year called Good Faith which I read it in a day and Good Faith is amazing read that book um Unchristian in 2007 is very prophetic mm-hmm. Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman are like literally on the forefront David Kinnaman runs Barna so he published okay. that study uh that we just talked about and he now is on the forefront with this information pulls in his buddy gabe lyons who's founding q which Mm -hmm. is a great organization um and then says there's a trend happening in the united states men and women are leaving the church why is it happening and um the primary thing that um, kind of frightened me was that a lot of people when they identify with christians or when they look at how christians um, operate or what it is to be in the church they don't ordinarily see us through what we believe, but how we behave. Right. Right. Absolutely. And that is the crux of a lot of things. So they go through in a lot more detail, um, mm-hmm. but that's kind of that's kind of how how we got here. Right.
1: And I yeah. mean, we even see that in scripture too. Like they will know me yeah. because of the way you act. Right. You know, like how else are they going to be pointed back to me unless okay. they see the love that you have for others right. and when we're not showing that love to others and people are seeing these heinous acts and deeds that people within the church quote unquote are doing that's the best representation of Jesus that they're seeing and it's not a representation of Jesus at all absolutely Um, so yeah I definitely that that makes total sense yeah 100% um, it's heartbreaking yeah it's heartbreaking and thank goodness we have people in the church that are noticing it Mm mm-hmm and are and are trying to bring it to the surface, yeah. because this trend is a trend and trends, you know they get bigger yeah. as time goes on. Do we see biblical examples? Mm. Where can we go in the Bible to see maybe how to handle these things? Right. And what ways did you know apostles or disciples or Jesus handle, yeah. you know problems like this? Or was that too early in church? history to be post-Christian that's a that's a
2: good way to phrase that
1: um it it was too early to be
2: post-Christian okay but it was um it was just at the right time to be ideologically secular okay um in a specific way so um the whole model that um James White uses in his book Generation Z and that I have learned from uh for this paper and just for life, really, um, is based out of Acts 17. Okay. When uh, the Apostle Paul uh, goes to visit Athens uh, and does what he does, right? right? So Paul enters the city, first place he goes to the synagogue, mm-hmm. right? He, he goes in and interacts with the Jewish people there uh, to try to kind of work through. The Messianic Jew angle, right? Like, hey, you want a Messiah? Great, I know the Messiah, right? Kind of tries to work Mm -hmm. that angle, right? Which Paul's a genius. Right. Um, So does that for a while, not having success. But Paul then kind of looks and sees how Athens runs. Now, uh, Tertullian, the church father, once quipped, what has Athens to do with Jerusalem? Mm -hmm. And the kind of the rhetoric and the hyperbole he's using is saying, what is the godless pagan nature of Athenian culture have anything to do with Christian culture in right. Jerusalem. And he's being, he's being hyperbolic intentionally. Right. Raymond Barry turns his question into a really prophetic question for us in America and he says, that may not have anything to do with Jerusalem, but if we ask what has Athens to do with America, we have to say everything. Hmm. Because the culture of Athens in that day reflects our culture today. Right. So Paul walks in the marketplace of Athens and he sees Multiple gods, Mm -hmm. like gods and goddesses littered everywhere, sacrificed to those gods and goddesses everywhere. He sees empty philosophies and religions constantly discussed about but never having resolutions about. People are bringing up ideas, talking about how the ideas relate, but never actually making them concrete principles on how to live off of. And so Paul walks into this and he starts talking to these people and he talks to the Epicureans and to the Stoics and they're like, we have no clue what you're talking about. You just said homeboy rose from the dead. Yeah. Like we don't even think that's possible. Yeah. Like what is going on here? And so the Epicureans, the Jews and the Stoics are like, all right, this dude's, this dude's insane. It's one of the few times people don't just kill him right off the bat. Right. Yeah. Which is crazy. And they grab Paul, and they're like, not grab, but they invite. Right. They invite Paul to go to the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus is Mars Hill, Mm. right? We're in church culture. We know Mars Hill churches, right, right? and things like that. The Areopagus was the, it was the chat room of that day. We're a little too young for chat rooms, but like, I mean, you you Grace Nation, I'm sure you guys have like spots, like public forums. yeah.
1: Absolutely. We actually had a forum set up on the website for a long time. Okay. Post some security problems. We had to take it down. But yeah. But you've had it. Right. Yeah. Same the same kind of thing. It was a public forum, public
2: area, where it was really the public square where you could share ideas and um, have those ideas discussed freely and openly. And your idea was given just as much weight as another idea. Okay. Right? It was the epitome of a pluralistic society. Mm-hmm. So Paul has a really incredible opportunity in front of him. And he goes to the Areopagus, and in verse 22 of Acts 17, he begins his speech. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to kind of pull out the the two principles,
1: okay. three principles
2: we see that we can apply for evangelism in a post-Christian culture. And then you interrupt me whenever, because I will go. You need okay,
1: before we start yeah, reading up. the speech, who's he talking to? We talked right. about the Epicureans, right. the Stoics. What is that? Like, what what do okay. those... So we understand the culture in which he's talking to. Yeah. What are those things? What do they believe?
2: Yeah. Epicureans and Stoics were philosophers of that age. Um, Epicureans, um, I believe, had difficulty with resurrection. I actually don't know a ton about them. Okay. Um, but I know Stoic philosophers uh, were... Um, you know, I don't know a lot about either of these groups. I've done a little bit of study right. about both of them, but they aren't the crux of the purpose of the right. passage. But um, I know that they are different philosophies dealing with actually two different opposing
1: I know ideas. Epicureans, their main attack on the Christian ideology, or the Christian faith, was that if God was good, God can't be good if he can destroy evil and doesn't. Kind of like the, um,
2: like, would God create a rock? Big right enough he couldn't lift kind of thing. exactly okay. right
1: so that that's and that's what from what yeah. i've studied on then that's and the stoics, a big attack
2: the stoics were like the opposite of the hedonists okay right weren't they yeah Something the opposite of
1: plus. like i want no pleasure right keep well, everything away from me right but e- but even
2: what we can conclude from this is this is two different ideological philosophies operating together and not reaching conclusions. Hmm. That is a pluralistic society, okay. And that is America, where we have competing ideological right. ideas. Um, ideas, philosophies, and there is no conclusion reached, but there is constant um, conversation occurring. Right. Right. So, same type of situation. We could sub out Epicurean and Stoic for Democrat Republican. Okay. You know what I'm that saying? That makes a lot of sense. Right. Right. So Paul enters into this environment, and he has a first piece he has the first part of evangelizing in a post-Christian culture is cultural education. He knows who he's walking into. He knows way more than I do about the Epicureans mm-hmm. and the Stoics. Right? Paul was uh, Hebrew-born right. and was Roman. right. So he has all the concepts of what to talk about when he's in a synagogue, And he knows all the things he should talk about when he's in the Areopagus. Right. He knows the Greek language. He's fluent. He knows the Hebrew language. Mm -hmm. He's fluent. He is able to hop in and out of individual cultures. And like he said, I think he said it himself, like he's able to be all things all men. Mm -hmm. Right? He's able to be an Epicurean to the Epicureans and a Stoic to the Stoic. Yeah. And he's doing the same thing here. He knows who he's talking to. And a big piece of our education is this post-Christian culture. Right. Our first step as Christians going into any sort of environment has to be able, we have to be able to know that our environment is post-Christian and that people do not have an understanding, desire, or a positive reaction to the gospel of Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ. We have to know that just like he did. That's the first thing. All right. Now to the text. Right. Verse 22. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now, he's not being rude there. Um, He's being accurate. Right. right. They are a very religious society. Mm -hmm. They're a pious society. Um, They're incorrectly pious. They're pluralistically pious, but they are nonetheless. Verse 23. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. First piece we see cultural education. Second piece we see is faithful hmm. contextualization. Okay. Right. So, what does Paul do? He looks to this culture. He looks out from the Areopagus and he sees the altar to the unknown god. Now, this was present in Athenian culture. Right. They had all their altars out, but they made one just in case. Right. Like, what if a god shows up and he's really pissed and we don't <laughs> have a god? And we don't have an altar. For right. Them, right. So they made one and they said to an unknown god, "Cool, we got our bases covered." And Paul, with his cultural education and with his noticing of how the culture mm-hmm. operates, decides to communicate the gospel in a way they will understand it. Right. And uses their immediate ideology and their immediate circumstance to bring them to the gospel.
1: Yeah, and we see, like, that's that's an example that's given all throughout Acts, yeah. almost. Yeah. Uh, how do we see that played out? Like, how can we play that out in America? Yeah. Like, how can how can we as either future pastors or pastors right. look at the culture that we're in notice things yeah. and then preach the gospel using those like incorporating the gospel right to where the culture that we're in, how do we do that? Yeah. What does that look like? Do you have any examples? Yeah. Um,
2: so I mentioned that this, this paper kind of made me like Frodo in the <laughs> sense that I started kind of going on, this kind of spurred me on a little bit of a spiritual journey and, um, It really spurred me on how to engage in conversations with people Mm. who don't think like I think. Right. Um, And I really have learned two things about faithful contextualization. One is a posture of listening. Mm. Um, So many times when we learn the truth, we want to shout the truth. Mm. And that's not a bad thing. Right. Um, That's out of... Joy and praise, right. and like I just met Jesus, like it's yeah. the greatest thing in the world. Um, but when we meet unbelievers, we so often uh, leave an impression to them that we are gonna instruct them, that we're gonna mm. tell them how to live, we're gonna um, control them, right? And, and that's one of the biggest turnoffs. We need to develop a posture of listening, mm. we need to be listeners. To people, yeah. more than listeners to culture, that posture of listening will open up more gospel conversations for you than you could ever imagine. Yeah. If you're the kind of person who you're thinking, man, God, I would just love, I, give me that boldness to share mm-hmm. my faith. One of the first things you need is like listening disposition. Yeah. Um, and to give you an example, um, I've had kind of I've had a few interactions, quite a few interactions actually like this but the probably the most notable notable one was i was flying back from chicago a few weeks ago and uh dropping my brother off at school at moody bible institute and which i'm still heartbroken <laughs> um and i was exhausted and tired my mom was crying because my younger brothers drop off at school so mm-hmm. i'm like emotionally drained it's a long three days i don't right. want to talk to anybody yeah and i like go to i don't i didn't have my headphones so i couldn't put my headphones in but i pulled my bible out i pulled my journal out i was like you know i'm just gonna journal for these like two and a half hours and just like not worry about it or however long the plane is just like get refreshed and lo and behold who sits next to me is um a a woman named bb and bb her very disposition was someone that we would ordinarily categorize as an unbeliever Mm. um But her, but she was so joyful and she was so happy. And so she was so full of life that she just started talking to me. Hmm. And I was like, all right, Lord, I guess we're doing this (laughs) right. Like I was like, I closed my Bible and I closed my notebook and I go, all right, let's do this. And so we just start having a conversation and she shared And like, because I created a posture of listening within myself. Mm -hmm. I don't think I said 10, 20 sentences Mm. on this two and a half hours. I just listened. Because I overexerted on my listening, I was able to have a few quality chances to share truth with mm. her. Right? She kept talking about her purpose and how she wanted to live and she wanted to build her kingdom. She wanted to build her empire. Right. And I was able to, in like a short little blip, go to Matthew 7 where Jesus says, you can build your house on the rock and you can build your house in the sand, but when the storm comes, one of these houses is going to stand. It's dependent upon what you build on. And I got to ask her, I got to say, what are you building your life on? Are you building your life on you and on things that will fade and die? Or are you building your life on eternal things? Mm. That in and of itself, that little blip will go far with her. So, um, that's and that's not to make me a hero by any means that's just an example for my right. daily life yeah, like absolutely. that just happens so first thing is the posture of listening and the second thing I would say is um, is what I heard Greg Kokel say at mm. a conference like a year ago the Intersect Conference you were there right? yeah, yeah. Um, Greg Kokel said our goal should be to throw a stone in their shoe. Mm. Yes. Right. I use that all the time. It's
1: good. It's cuz the the stone in the shoe's annoying. You want to take your shoe off and get rid of it. It's the most frustrating thing, yeah. right? You want to retie your shoe or you want to like fix your sock.
2: And his anal- that analogy helps us to say my job As a Christian, when I'm having conversations with people about Jesus, is not to save them. Mm. I will not save anybody. I am so weak, I am incapable of saving anyone. I can't. Only God can save a person. Right? I can only witness God saving a person. That's all I can do. Um, What I can do is I can disrupt the way a person thinks slightly. Mm and just have that slight disruption right. thrown into their daily life and thrown into the way they think and let that bother them enough mm. to where they're like, I just need to have answers. I just yeah. need someone to talk to. And I, I really see that as a method that um, is very different from the church culture we grew up in.
1: Yeah, the, the church culture we grew up in said, no, you have to get people to a decision. Right, right. Need the, They need to come to church. They need to get baptized. They yep. need to follow the systematic right? You know, order of things and how this is going to go out. Yeah, for sure. And that doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. If we're looking
2: in, honestly, reality and the reality of a post-Christian culture, we have so many steps we have to take people to be saved. Mm. In Christian culture, the step was, all right, you know all these stories. Cool. Do you believe them? You don't? You should believe them. Or you're going to hell. Oh, right. great. Repent, believe, done. Right. right? Now it's... We have to start from way before then, Right. Right? There are questions of, like, is the Bible real? Like, how do we believe that stuff? Right. What does it matter if Jesus rose from the dead? Mm-hmm. Like, there are foundational, fundamental things we have to throw a stone in people's shoes right. on. Um, and we'll never be able to teach all of it to a person, I hope, in a discipleship relationship, mm-hmm. hopefully. Yeah. But in plane ride encounters, in... Uh, walking down the street and talking to a barista. It's going to be a stone and shoe right. encounter. And that's where like the third element of it comes in, and that's winsome persuasion. Mm. So I love the word winsome. Like uh, Bob Goff. Have you ever read Love Does by Bob Goff? I'm not. All right, so that's another one you got to put on the book okay. list. It has almost nothing to do with this topic, but right. it's just an amazing <laughs> book. And Bob Goff's whole principle of his life and of his writing is to be a winsome person, to to be in whimsy, right? So winsome, W-I-N-S-O-M-N, winsome, S-O-M-E, and then whimsy, W-H-I-M-S-Y. And Bob Goff's whole principle is like, I want to be caught up in whimsy. I want to be caught up in joy. I want to be caught up in what God is doing in the present. Mm-hmm. And if we as Christians live with that mentality and that day-in-day-out mindset, then our life will be winsome. We will right. win some right. to Jesus. Yeah. Because the very message we proclaim isn't a browbeat, uh, negative Anti-message. Right. It's a whimsical. Right. It's a winsome. It's attractive. Mm-hmm. Right. The gospel is inherently attractive. It's life. We have nothing yeah. outside of it, and if we preach the good realities. Of the gospel with our very lives, throw stones in people's shoes, yeah. and then let our lives be a stone in people's shoes. Yeah, it's one of the most incredible, most mind-warping, life-changing, heart-changing ways to evangelize. Yeah, absolutely
1: sure. That's it's it's so true, and and that places us within the will of God too. We're not trying to control. Yeah. What God does for us, but right. we're allowing God to control what we do for Him. Wow. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Mm. That's and and that's what we talked about last week too, being in the will of God, A- right? And, and you know how we place ourselves in the will of God, and what happens when we step outside. So yeah, absolutely, fellow Trinity College Tiger KB. <laughs> yeah. Um, said
2: once that, um, oh, I'd rather be in the jungle and in the will of God than anywhere else and outside of it. Hmm. Right. And for Americans, there's so much um, of a mindset of, at least amongst my parents' generation and um, some millennials, of like, man, if only we could return to like mm. when it was like this, or if only we could just change the way that people operate. If only we could just change, if I, if I was just Martin Luther, if I could right. just change all of it. No, you're not supposed to be Martin Luther. Mm. You are supposed to be who you are, where you are. Yeah. You are supposed to be the gospel representation where you are and nowhere else. Yeah. Right? Martin Luther's thing was to nail 95 theses on Wittenberg door. Maybe your thing is to go have a conversation with that gay kid in Starbucks because he's suicidal and he doesn't know anything about the gospel. Right, maybe your conversation is to go talk with your unbelieving brother, your unbelieving sister, or the person you know you have had rifts in in your relationship, and they did something wrong, but you need to apologize yeah. first because their soul was on the line. Yeah, right. We need as Christians. To humble ourselves incredibly before the mighty hand of God. Remember who we were before we met God. Remember what we were like before we met God. Remember how foreign the gospel was before we met God. And walk in a posture of humility in everything we do. Or else we'll be a bunch of proud Pharisees and nobody's going to get saved. And that's the last thing. I want so. um, I think that's what Paul conveys so well in here. Um, The rest of uh, this chapter is just unbelievably rich. Um, I would I would encourage you. So I mentioned um, Generation Z by James White, um, Rise of the Nuns by James White, UnChristian by Mm -hmm. Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman, Good Faith by Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman, Tim
1: Keller's book Preaching. uh, He does that uh, that book. Hands down, one of my all-time favorite reads. Yeah, to date. Yeah, like amazing. I read it this summer. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and I think you'd agree. It's not just for preachers. Hey, no, absolutely not, not just for preachers. It changed the way I read scripture. Same, you know, and that that's a, applicable for anyone yes. within the Christian faith. Yes,
2: uh, and that's Tim Keller's just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, his book preaching, honestly Tim Keller's Ministry, just follow Tim Keller. Um, if you want anything on winsome persuasion, like the art of persuasion, mm-hmm. like using helpful rhetoric, Oz Guinness has this great book called called Fool's Talk. Mm-hmm. Um and Oz Guinness is just a delightful person. Yeah. Um so uh yeah, Stefan posses uh uh, study at UV Amsterdam. There's so many sources. There's so many resources. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Preaching and Preachers, is also helpful. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot that you can yeah. cover and there's a lot you can do, but honestly, it's a posture of humility and if I could communicate anything, it would be Christians, remember who you were. Read Ephesians, read the first verse of Ephesians 2 and remember who you were mm. and then meet people right where they are because that's exactly where you are. Yeah. You, where you were.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Hands down. Well, Thank you, thank you for being here, for oh my t- for talking about what is probably one of the most exciting topics for you to study it's or so have studied. Yeah, I just, yeah. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Thank you so much, and also for everyone listening, the show notes will include all of the books, all of the references that were mentioned in today's podcast, so that you can resource them on Amazon or on Thrift Books and get them and use them as personal resources for your guys' studies and pursuit of Christ. So, as we are wrapping up today, second podcast ever uh, for the Bringing Grace to the Nations uh, podcast. I just want to thank everyone who has tuned in and has listened last week and who is now listening this week again. I am hoping to continue this season of podcasts. Hopefully, there will be at least three more in this season with more guests and more interviews and just more discussions. If you guys have any questions that you would love to see on the podcast, or if you guys have any topics of debate or or, or theological questions that you guys have, feel free to email me at ministries at yahoo.com. Send those emails my way. I will respond. I have nothing else to do, so I can respond to as many emails as I get. <laughs> Honestly, what papers to yeah. do. What are you talking well, about? Okay, besides the papers. We have papers. <laughs> oh anyway, but, yeah, send those emails my way. Tweet me at Men on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. We have so many ways for you guys to get in contact with us. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Follow us. Download the podcast. Leave a review, a helpful review. That would be totally appreciated, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, Tyler, I really appreciate you coming on today's show. Thank you. It was an honor. Good luck with just this season, man. Yeah, Yeah. dude. Graduating. It's going to be fun. Yeah, so we will see you guys next week on the Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast. Until then, take care and God bless.
0: that's the show thanks for listening the bgn podcast comes out every week questions email us at grace nation ministries at yahoo.com or tweet us at grace nation min until next time take care and god bless